You're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. Each message comes from our Sunday morning gatherings where we worship in community, study God's Word, and grow in our faith together to the glory of Jesus Christ. The Mission Church is committed to helping each person belong and believe and to equip them to embrace the call of God upon their life. We pray these messages will build your faith and encourage you today. Are you there? Matthew 26, 30? Uh, Let's uh, pray as we open the Bible. Jesus, we thank you so much for your plan of redemption, that you set your face on the cross and you would not turn to the right or to the left to accomplish the Father's will, to restore us, to buy us back, and to pay the price of our sin. Lord, as we read this passage, and as we prepare our hearts for communion, Lord, would you speak to us? And would you help us to better understand you and all that you have done? For Lord, you are worthy of being worshipped with all of our mind, with all of our heart, with all of our strength. And so we give you our mind now, Lord, please speak to us. For we're asking that you would allow us to hear your voice. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Verse 30. Uh, This is after the Last Supper. And when they, that is the disciples and Jesus, had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. We left off there Sunday, right? We were talking about this hymn that they sung. Uh, It was Psalm 118 that we covered on Sunday. And uh, they sung Psalm 118. And they go to the Mount of Olives. And at the Mount of Olives, verse 31, Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. It was written 480 years before Jesus was there on the earth in Zechariah 13. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. And Jesus tells them, all of you are going to be scattered because of me. And they, they didn't understand. They had just had an amazing meal with Jesus. They had just experienced intimacy in a close, bonding relationship. They were in love with him. They had never been loved by anyone like he had loved them. They had never been taught the wisdom, the profound insight by anyone that he had taught them. What do you mean we're going to be scattered? What do you think they thought? They thought, no way. They thought no way. And it is interesting, is it not, that we are often more spiritual in our minds than we are in reality. We are often uh, think we're better Christians uh, in our heart, in our mind, in our head, in our delusion than we are in actual real life. And here the disciples said, oh, no, 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 no. Look, look, look at this. Uh, verse 32, but he says, after I have been raised, I will go before you into Galilee. Uh, what a loving God, by the way. You're going to deny me. You're going to stumble. But I'm still going to lead you. When I resurrect, I'm going to come back. I'm going to go be, bring you to Galilee. Uh, verse 33, Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Uh, The all, by the way, were these 11 guys, right? Uh, uh, Even if they blow it, I won't blow it. And look at Jesus' answer. Jesus answered to him, to Peter, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, tonight, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Uh, Mark's gospel is even more poetic. I love how it puts it. It says, Jesus said, before the rooster crows twice, you will have denied me three times. Uh, Wow. And Peter said to him, to Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. I am the super apostle. (laughs) And so said all the disciples. Uh, Did they believe it? Were they right? No. Again, it is good to think humbly of yourself. Uh, Romans 12 tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you'd present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to the Lord, which is just your reasonable service. And it goes on, and then it says, and do not think more highly of yourself 
than you ought to think. But think soberly, according as God has given to every man a measure of faith. Unless the Holy Spirit is leading me, you know what I will do? I will deny him just like uh, any sinner would. It is only his spirit leading me that empowers us to walk with him and to abide in him and to obey him. And uh, uh, Peter says, even if everybody denies you, I won't. Uh, Verse 36, then Jesus came with them to the place called Gethsemane. Uh, Gethsemane is right outside of the Temple Mount. Uh, It's a little hillside on the east side of the Temple Mount, on the east side of the Kadron Valley. Uh, We talked about it on Sunday. If you're there in Gethsemane, uh, you can look down the hill and across the Kadron Valley, and right over here is the Temple Mount. And Jesus, seeing and knowing all that was going to transpire, there he goes to the place called Gethsemane. It's a beautiful garden. Uh, It's a place that Jesus often loved to go to. And and here he goes there again, and he says uh, to his disciples, verse 36, sit here while I go and pray over there. Uh, Jesus getting alone with God, knowing what is coming, knowing that uh, he wants to be totally in tune with the will of the Father. He gets alone to spend time with God. Very wise. Verse 37. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. Uh, If you're a Bible scholar, you know those two sons are James and John. So there's Peter, James, and John. He takes with him. Uh, The other... uh, uh, Eight are uh, there with him in Gethsemane, but a little further off. And Judas has already gone being possessed by Satan. And he's off making a deal to betray Jesus as we speak. Verse 37, excuse me, verse 38. Then he said to them, that's to Peter, James, and John. My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here. And watch with me. And we read in Luke's gospel that there he began to sweat great drops of blood. He's asking the disciples, Peter, James, and John, his closest three, stay here with me. Pray with me. What is going on in Jesus' heart? What is going on in Jesus' soul? Jesus was never afraid of anything. There could be a violent storm that experienced fishermen would cry out and say, save us or we're going to perish. And Jesus would be resting in the boat. There could be demons that would make any normal man run and hide. And Jesus would stand unmoved. There would be lepers And any person would go, oh, that is the kiss of death. I don't want to get near that. And Jesus would go and touch them and hug them and heal them. Jesus was afraid of nothing. Why then here do we see this great uh, drama going on in his heart? This great grieving, sweating, uh, great drops of blood as the capillaries in his skin are bursting under the stress. What is going on in his heart? Verse 39. He went a little further and he fell on his face and he prayed, O Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Well, here we see with the focal point of Jesus' prayer. It's this cup. Uh, what is this cup? What is the cup that he's talking about? Well, for the simple answer, it is the cross. We'll look at it in more depth, what this cup is. But for right now, let's hold on to this. It's the cross. He knows he's going to the cross. And he says, uh, Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Uh, very good to see what Jesus teaches us here that prayer is, by the way. Prayer is getting alone with God. So that my eyes are fixed and focused, not on the things that are important to me, 
but that my eyes then turn off those things and focus on what? The things that are important to God. So often we don't treat prayer that way. We only come to prayer and tell God all the things that are important to me. Uh, That is not uh, the best prayer. The best prayer is when we come to God and we we share with him the things that are important to us. And then we say, now, Lord, I'm going to be quiet. I want to meditate. What is important to you? As I'm facing this issue in my marriage, what do you want me to know? As I'm facing this difficult decision at work, what do you want me to know? How do you want me to walk? As I have this neighbor who's wronging me, what do you want me to do? And Jesus here, not focused on his problem, he is focused on the will of the Father. Uh, So he falls on his face. Verse 40, um, then he came to his disciples, and he found them, how? Sleeping. Sleeping. And he says to Peter, they're all three asleep, but he says to Peter, what? Could you not watch with me one hour? Jesus is hurting here. He is deeply grieved. He is like the disciples have never seen them before. He is in total anguish. Imagine looking at his shirt and having it be all sweated through, only it's not just wet, it's what? It's bloody. Trembling. And he's, can you not pray with me? Uh, All of the disciples were asleep. Why do you think he addresses Peter? Peter, could you not watch with me one hour? Why Peter? Because Peter had just said, I'll die for you. Well, do you think you could pray for me for an hour? Uh, Verse 41, he tells Peter, watch and pray, lest you enter into, into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing but the flesh is weak. Here we see that in prayer, we get insight. In prayer, by focusing on God's will, we get vision, we get understanding of how to walk in the difficult things that we're about to face. Jesus is telling Peter, Peter, if you would pray, you might have some wisdom when this temptation that I just told you is going to happen, and you're going to deny me three times. Remember that conversation an hour ago? You might want to be in prayer about that, right? Um, why wasn't Peter in prayer on that? Because he thought too highly of himself. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that is what hinders our walk with God more than anything else. Um, verse 42, again a second time, he went away and prayed and said, O oh, Father, my Father, if this cup can pass, Excuse me, if this cup cannot pass away from me, unless I drink it, your will be done. Question for you, could that cup pass away? Yes? No? How many of you think, yes, that cup could pass? How many of you think, no, that cup can't pass? Looks like a pretty equal vote, maybe a little more no's. Uh, Very interesting, by the way, if you jump ahead to verse 53, look what Jesus says. This is after Peter cuts off Malchus's ear. Uh, Verse 53. Or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels? Uh, How then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus? Uh, 12 legions of angels? What is that? Well, a legion is 5,000. 12 legions would be 60,000. One angel in the Bible is recorded in the Old Testament of wiping out, one angel, of wiping out 144,000 Assyrian soldiers who were armed for battle. One angel. What do you think 60,000 could do? Could this cup pass? Yes. All he has to do is say, guys. But he says... Nevertheless, not what I want, but what you want, Lord. Verse 43, and he came and he found them asleep again, for their eyes were very heavy. So he left them and he went away 
and he prayed the third time the same words. Uh, It is not wrong to bring your prayer before God repeatedly. It is not wrong to say, uh, Lord, I I want want direction from you. Lord, help me, uh, guide me. There are those who wrongly teach. If you pray multiple times, it's because you don't have enough faith. You just have to pray once. That is foolish. Prayer is not magic. Prayer is aligning myself to the will of God. And here Jesus prays repeatedly. Uh, Verse 45, then he came to his disciples and he said to them, are you still sleeping? And resting, behold, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is being betrayed, present tense, currently being betrayed into the into this, this hands of sinners. Rise up, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I imagine when he said, behold, he pointed off right over here onto the trail, and do you know what was coming? Hundreds of Romans Roman soldiers sent from the Antonio fortress being led by Judas who received a detachment of troops from the religious leaders uh, and they're all coming loaded with bear to arrest, loaded for bear to arrest Jesus. Uh, uh, How incredible. Uh, I want to look at some things here from this passage. Uh, Where did all this take place? In Gethsemane. Gethsemane uh, literally means oil press. Oil press. Uh, it is believed, uh, you can see remnants of it when you go there, it is believed there's a, uh, an ancient oil, excuse me, an oil press that was there in those ancient days. And uh, the olives, uh, you get oil from them. How do you get oil out of olives? You crush them. And here in Gethsemane of all places, Jesus is being crushed, that the oil, the spirit, might come out and have its way. Uh, Gethsemane, what is happening here at Gethsemane? Well, Jesus is praying. And Gethsemane then represents something for us. Gethsemane is the place of coming to terms with the will of God. Humanly speaking, Jesus was dreading going to the cross. And Jesus asked his inner circle of disciples to stay with him during this time of agony that he is going through in sorrow and in great grief as he is in anticipation of all that he is going to endure in the coming hours. Jesus asked them to pray. And he offers up three excruciating prayers as he experiences a time of overwhelming sorrow and distress as he confronts the cross. He falls on his face in abject humility, saying, Lord, please, please. He bears all of his anguish before the Father in complete honesty and in total surrender. Jesus is facing the most severe temptation that he's ever experienced in his entire life. Jesus was tempted All the time, Uh, his whole life full of temptation. The enemy always after him. We read that uh, when he began his ministry, he went off into the mountains, into the wilderness to pray for 40 days. And he fasted during those 40 days and he didn't eat or drink. And there without food after 40 days, Satan comes and tempts him and says, since you are the son of God, Why don't you command these stones to be turned into bread? And if I know anything about the enemy and anything about temptation, the smell of baked bread was waffling through the air. And you know how when you're starving, man, you can smell food from 100 miles away? Is that a steak? Right? Like, is that a baked potato? Uh, And yet Jesus endured all of that temptation with flying colors. He just said, it is written, right? And, and, and he was at the point of death at that time. And yet now he is facing the most severe temptation of his life. The temptation to do what? To avoid bearing the sin of the world on his own shoulders. 
to avoid all that goes along with that that we're going to look at in just a moment, all of those things that are summarized in this term, this cup. His temptation was to avoid being the sin bearer of the world, of taking the sin of the world on his own shoulders and going to a cross, being beaten and tortured, his back whipped open with a cat of nine tails. Uh, he knew what was coming. Uh, what was the disciples' temptation, by the way? That was Jesus' temptation at Gethsemane. What was the disciples' temptation at Gethsemane? The temptation to sleep for one hour. Jesus had the temptation to forego being the sin bearer of the world. And he stayed focused on the will of God. The disciples had the temptation to not sleep and to sleep over praying one hour. And who was faithful and who was disobedient? I want you to know, I doubt that I would be any different than those disciples. Unless the Spirit of God empowers me, I would have fallen asleep too. Isn't it amazing how carnal we really are? We try to go and spend time in prayer and we're like, did I leave the iron on? And we go and check. And then we go try to spend time in prayer. And, oh, I got to wash my clothes. And we put clothes on. And we, and Jesus says, could you not, could you not pray with me one hour during my greatest need? Uh, at this time of Gethsemane, the time of coming to terms with the will of God, Jesus is faithful. And the disciples aren't. Jesus is always faithful. There are a lot of Gethsemanes that we all will face. And Gethsemane represents coming to terms with the will of God. Some of those Gethsemanes, we will not be found faithful, like the disciples weren't on this one. But I want you to know there are some Gethsemanes that uh, uh, we cannot avoid. There are some Gethsemanes that we have to walk through. Gethsemanes like illness, like cancer like the death of a child or the death, death of a loved one or with just the unpleasant reality of aging and realizing that you're mortal and you don't have many years left. All of these are Gethsemanes that we cannot escape. And Gethsemane is a place where we spend time with God in prayer and we come to terms with the will of the Father and we make it our will. Aren't you glad, by the way, that our salvation isn't determined by our performance at Gethsemane, those times? Aren't you glad that our salvation is only predicated on the obedience of Jesus and not on our obedience? I am so thankful. And so Gethsemane represents this place of coming to terms with the will of God. And there Jesus does a place of surrendering his will to fully embrace the will of God. And Jesus does this in prayer. And as he's praying, Judas comes with this detachment of troops that is powerful. They are the most powerful soldiers in the world at that time, and they are loaded for bear with all their weaponry of the day, and they are marching in order, and you can hear them, the cloud of dust behind them. They don't think it was one or two soldiers. This was an entire platoon coming to arrest Jesus, sent by the religious leaders from the Antonio Fortress. They were, they were like special op soldiers, and they were deployed in number because Jesus had escaped every time they tried to arrest him before. Sparing no expense, these soldiers come, and Jesus sees them coming. It's there in the Garden of Gethsemane, and as they approach him, it is Jesus who takes the initiative, and he says, whom are you seeking? And the soldiers all stop, lanterns burning, swords in hand, shields, battle fatigue, you know, battle uh, array and, and uh, you know, all of it, uh, riot gear, all of it. And Jesus says, who are you seeking? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answers, I am and in the Greek, he answers, ego, I me, 
And all of these soldiers, armed for battle, fall over backwards. What the heck? So much so that they're there dazed on the ground, kind of like, what just happened? That Jesus has to say to them, guys, second time, whom are you seeking? And they get themselves up, and Judas comes to him and kisses him. Rabbi, teacher, friend, how are you? Gives him a hug and kisses him. Because Judas had said, I know where he goes. He hangs out and he prays in this place called Gethsemane. And I'll betray him with a kiss. And you can arrest him. And Jesus said, Judas, friend, why have you come? Have you come to betray me with a kiss? Here's the question. Who was that for? The eagle, I me, what is that? Well, if you had a, a Septuagint, a Greek version of the Old Testament, uh, that was the very words that God spoke to Moses from the burning bush. When, God, when Moses asked God, who are you? God said, I am. And Jesus echoed those same words there in the Garden of Gethsemane. And at those words, the soldiers fall over backwards. Who was that for? Was that for Jesus? Who was that for? That was for us. That was for his disciples. That was for the soldiers. You sure you want to do this? That was showing us that, hey, no one takes my life from me. I could call 60,000 angels right now, but even that isn't necessary. I could utter two words and destroy the earth. Wow. Jesus says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down willfully, and I lay it down at the right time. And this was the sovereign plan of God laid out from the beginning of the world. They fall over backwards. Judas betrays him, and they take him off, arrested as a criminal, and they take him away. As they take Jesus away, we uh, know that Jesus had six trials. He had three trials with the Jews, and he had three trials with the Romans. All of them were illicit, all of them were illegal. All of them were a mockery of justice. All of them were a total sham. Uh, his first trial was with Annas. There in the middle of the night, uh, they take him to Annas. Annas used to be the high priest. He had retired. His son-in-law, Caiaphas, was now the high priest. But Annas was still the power behind the scenes. Anna had a lot of clout. Annas had a lot of clout. And they took him to Annas in the middle of the night. Illegal. You can't have a trial at Annas' house. A trial has to be in a public courtroom during business hours. And they bring him there to Annas. After Annas, they send him to Caiaphas, the high priest. And Caiaphas assembles the Sanhedrin. And they have a third trial with the Sanhedrin in the morning that we're going to look at in just a minute. From there, they go to Rome, and he has a trial before Pilate, and Pilate sends him to Herod Antipas, and Herod Antipas can't get a word out of Jesus, so Herod Antipas sends him back to Rome, back to Pilate. So six trials, all of them a mockery of justice, all of them full of illegal procedures, errant due process, and dishonest political agendas. A fair and just trial for Jesus was never even on the agenda, was never even the goal. And justice for Jesus fell subordinate to the sinful politics of man. What a shame. What a scam. What a joke. This was a dark hour for Jesus. When they arrested him, guess what happened to all those disciples who said, I'll never leave you? They all scattered. And now Jesus is arrested and alone in the middle of the night, taken as a criminal. And there at midnight, he's brought before Annas' house. No one there with him. All alone, forsaken, 
Jesus was hurting and, and just despairing what was coming in his life. And now his trials began, six mockery trials, and he is alone. Here's the question for you. What was the purpose of these Jewish trials? Why didn't he just go straight to Rome? We know at this time in history, Israel was no longer a sovereign nation. They wanted capital punishment for Jesus, but they couldn't execute capital punishment. They had to get Rome to do it. Rome had taken away their power. And so in order to have, they still had jurisdiction of certain areas, but they had no, no authority to do capital punishment. In order to get capital punishment, the high priest would have to have formal charges in a courtroom uh, be brought forth and be tried, and then they could bring those formal charges to Rome, and then Rome would uh, adjudicate their, their decision, right? And so uh, why do they have a Jewish court? Well, they need to get these formal charges. So they take him to Annas in the middle of the night. Annas, uh, you know, illegal, wrong things happening. Then they take him to uh, Caiaphas, and that's where we're going to pick up. Uh, he's going to go before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin, by the way, uh, the high, was led by the high priest. And there are 70 members in the Sanhedrin plus the high priest. So that makes 71 members. It was like the Jewish Supreme Court. That was their purpose. These were respected leaders. They were religious leaders. They had devoted their life to the things of God. And this is the Sanhedrin. And it's a, it's a, it's a mockery. Uh, look at Mark uh, chapter 14. We're going to flip over to Mark. Look at Mark chapter 14 and find your way to verse 50. Mark 14, verse 50. Are you there? I'll give you a minute. Mark 14, verse 50. If you don't know where that is, just have your neighbor help you. They would love to. Mark 14, verse 50. All right, here we go. Then all forsook him and fled. Uh, who's the all? All the followers of Jesus. Verse 51. Now there was a certain young man who followed him. That's followed Jesus. Having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body. And the young man laid hold of him. Uh, some of the uh, young soldiers came and laid hold of him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Well, that's an interesting thing to read. <laughs> what is that all about? Uh, well, we're reading the Gospel of Mark. And scholars believe this is young John Mark. Uh, John Mark, the one who would become a contemporary, a companion of Paul and Barnabas and go on missionary journeys with, with, with them. Uh, uh, Mark, John Mark, the one who would write this book that is in our hand. Uh, this version of this, only in Mark's gospel, not in any other of the gospels. Uh, Mark was just a young boy at this time. What is he doing with a linen shawl wrapped around him? Uh, why does he have that on and he's naked underneath? Can you think of why? Because it's two in the morning. This is a mock judicial system. This is a travesty of justice. And Mark, a follower of Jesus, a lover of Jesus, finds out they've arrested Jesus at two in the morning and he gets up and just wraps us around him and runs out to find out what's going on. Good for little young Mark, right? And the soldiers grab him, his linen. And by the way, if he has a linen, uh, what does it call it? A linen what? Shaw, uh, what is it? Linen cloth. Uh, linen would be a very wealthy material. It shows that John Mark was of a wealthy home. His mother, Mary, uh, there was a church planted in her house in the book of Acts. Uh, a lot of information on little Mark here. Uh, uh, and so uh, uh, they grab it and he runs away naked. Uh, he's the only guy that remembers any of this, but he was humiliated and he says, I got to put that in my gospel. Uh, <laughs> verse 53. And they led Jesus away to the high priest. That would be Caiaphas. 
And with him were assembled all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, or in other words, the Sanhedrin, all the religious leaders. It is, be, it is between 1 and 3 a.m. in the morning, probably around 2 o'clock. Uh, but Peter followed him, that's Jesus, at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. Peter's acting like he doesn't know him, but he's kind of watching what's going on. Uh, and he goes in and he warms himself by the enemy's fire, right? Um, I think I lost my spot. Hang on. Thank you. My page turned when I was walking. Uh, so he warms himself by the, uh, by the fire of the, of the enemy. So verse 55, now the chief priest and all the council, you might want to circle the council, that is the Sanhedrin of 71 high-ranking members, they sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death. Some kind of charge that they could find against him that would warrant capital punishment. So they could give that charge to who? To Rome so they could carry out that capital punishment. Problem? They found none. Uh, no charges uh, could be, no formal charges could be made, right? They couldn't, for many bore witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Uh, now, uh, this was an illegal proceeding because the court is meeting at 2 a.m., Court had to operate during business hours, and the reason for that is because it had to be public. And the reason for that is that so, so things couldn't be done in secret. And the reason for that is so that you could have testimonies that were legit. The only testimonies you get at two in the morning are from witnesses that you've planted, and even then they don't corroborate. They don't they don't come together, right? And we see what a what a mock of justice this is. Verse 56, for many bore false witnesses against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. Question for you, did Jesus say that? Kind of. Jesus said, destroy this temple, not a temple made with hands, he said, destroy this temple, and in three days, I will raise it up again. And here I want you to see something. I want you to see the danger of false teachers who take the words of Jesus and keep 99% of them, but only change a couple of them, and it changes the meaning significantly. It is the mark of every false teacher and uh, be, be wise. Be a student of the words so you can tell when things are being taught accurately or not. Uh, they add to Jesus' words and it changes the meaning entirely. Uh, verse 59, but even then their testimony did not agree. Verse 60, and the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? All these allegations against you and you're not saying anything? But he, that's Jesus, kept silent and answered nothing. Um, Jesus doesn't answer a word. Why? Well, we learned something here. Uh, these men, are they seeking justice? Or do they have their own agenda? Are they sincere or are they duplicitous? And here's what we learn. Jesus will not speak to those who come to him in pretense. Come to Jesus in pretense and ask him for whatever, talk to him about whatever, and you will hear nothing. But come to Jesus with sincerity of heart. Come to Jesus uh, for Jesus. Come to Jesus not for what you can get out of him, but for who he is, because you're in awe of his love for you. Oh, and he will speak and speak dearly. Uh, here he speaks nothing. He keeps silent. And again, the high priest answered him saying, are you the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now, he puts Jesus here under oath. And the Bible says, the Old Testament says, when the high priest gives you a charge under oath, you have to answer. And so Jesus answers and he says, I am. And you will see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus just declared himself to be God Almighty. 
on the very throne of God, coming to bring judgment and wrath on the earth. And he just revealed who he really is. Verse 63, And the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? Forget due process. We have heard you blasphemy. What do you think? And all the Sanhedrin condemned him to be deserving of death. And look at verse 65. Get a pen out. I want you to to circle some words. Uh, Then some of them began to spit on him and to blindfold him. Blindfold him is a bad translation. They didn't put just blindfold. They covered his complete head and they beat him. And they said to him as they're beating him, prophesy, who hit you? Who hit you? And the officers, uh, those are the Roman officers of the Jewish Sanhedrin who were employed by them. They struck him with the palms of their hands. Uh, You might want to circle struck struck him. In the Greek, it's in the imperfect tense, in the uh, indicative mood, which simply means this. It was a continual thing happening over. They continued to strike him and strike him and strike him and strike him. Uh, Can you imagine? Can you imagine? They put a bag over his head and were punching him in the face saying, prophesy, who hit you? Now, if you've ever been in a fight, uh, you girls would know nothing about this. You're too sweet. Some of you girls are going, oh yeah, I've been in a fight. But when you're in a fight, you're watching. And when a blow comes, what do you do? Yeah, you pull back. Uh, When you have a bag over your head, you can't even pull back. And you can break an ankle just stepping off a curb when you don't know it's there. Imagine getting hit in the face when you can't even tell it's coming. The Bible says that his, his visage was more marred than any man. Here he is, it is two, three in the morning. He's getting beaten to a pulp and it goes on all night long. The Sanhedrin cannot come up with formal charges. And so they say, we'll reconvene in the morning and the soldiers continue to beat Jesus according to the Greek grammar all night long. He does not sleep and is beaten. The Bible says uh, it was prophesied centuries before they ripped the beard out of his face. His face, was, his visage was so marred that you couldn't even, if you knew him yesterday, you wouldn't recognize him today. This is before he even goes to Pilate to be scourged. Oh, consider all that Jesus has gone through. This 2 a.m. trial, totally illegal, false witnesses, all these things going on, and Jesus being beaten all night long into the early morning hours. The team is going to lead us in a song. We're going to have more teaching again after the song, and then we'll partake of communion together. But I wanted to pause here just for a moment to reflect and to worship. Jesus, for all that he has done. He said, I want this, if it's possible that this cup may pass, I want you to know something. We haven't even seen the cup yet. And look at all that he's already enduring. Well, that mock 2 a.m. courtroom produced no formal charges. So they had to reconvene again. They gathered uh, in the morning. If you flip over to Mark chapter 15, we'll pick it up right there. Their 2 a.m. trial, uh, they went and convened privately. uh, And in the morning, immediately in the morning, chapter 15, are you there? Immediately in the morning, the chief priest held a consultation with the elders and the scribe and the whole council. That's with the Sanhedrin. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him to Pilate with formal charges. Uh, Somehow, from 2 a.m. till the early morning hours here, 
They regather again, and now they have formal charges without the Sanhedrin even meeting. And they only gather the Sanhedrin to have an appearance of somewhat normal legal matter, and they bring charges. Do you know what the charges they bring? Well, they thought through the night, and they thought, I got it. I know what we can charge him with that will really torque and irritate Rome. I know what we can charge him with that Rome will actually carry out capital punishment. We will say that he claimed to be the king of the Jews and that he was bringing an uprising. And so they send him to Pilate with these charges. Verse 2, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered and said to him, it is as you say. Wow. God was working in Pilate's life. Jesus speaks to Pilate more than he did to, well, he didn't speak a word to Herod, but he spoke quite a bit to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And he says, yes, I am. God had given Pilate's wife a dream that night. God is trying to save Pilate. If Pilate would only listen. God had given Pilate's wife a dream, and in that dream, she said, you're going to be see a man in the morning. And God told me he's a just man. Have nothing to do with him. Don't get involved. He's a good man. And so now Pilate wakes up. He gets to work. He kisses his wife goodbye. And she says, oh, honey, before you go, and she tells him the dream. And now Pilate goes in. And sure enough, who's he faced with? Jesus. Verse 3. And the chief priest accused him, that's Jesus, of many things. But he, Jesus, answered nothing. There are the, all the chief priests. The Sanhedrin is there before Pilate. There's all the pomp and circumstance. They're calling all kinds of accusations against Jesus. Verse 4. Then Pilate asked him, Jesus, again, saying, Do you answer nothing? Do you see how many of these things they testify against you? But Jesus still answered nothing. And so that Pilate marveled. Pilate knew that the religious leaders were incredibly jealous and very petty. And here he sees Jesus and he can just see his character and his stature in front of him. And Jesus isn't even saying, uh-uh, that's not fair. He just, he just, his character shining brightly. Verse 6. Now at the feast, he, that's Pilate, was accustomed to releasing one prisoner to them, to the Jews, whoever they requested. And there was one named Barabbas, who was chained with his fellow rebels. Barabbas sounds like a bad dude, doesn't he? Uh, I imagine this big, uh, greasy, dirty guy, criminal, uh, uh, and he's chained with his fellow rebels, and they had committed murder. In the rebellion, there was some rebellion and they murdered some people. Then the multitude cried out loud and began to ask him, that's Pilate, to do just as he had always done for them, to release one of the prisoners. And Pilate thought, I got it. This is the perfect way for me to get out of this deal. I'll give them who? I'll give them Jesus to be released. So Pilate answered them. Okay, I'll show mercy. I'll release one of the criminals. Uh, do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priest had handed them over because of envy, that there was a flimsy charge, that there was nothing there. But the chief priest stirred up the crowd so that he should rather release Barabbas to them. Hey, be careful when you are going the way of the entire crowd. Be careful when you are uh, just following the, the flow of uh, the sway of the, of the majority. For Jesus said, broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go that way, but narrow and difficult is the way that leads to life, and few go that way. We are in a time where we are going to have to stand for truth, right? And if you are in the, the majority, you are in the wrong camp. And here... Uh, uh, they were swept, swept away by emotion, and they start saying, Barabbas, Barabbas. Pilate answered and said to them again, 
Who do you want me to, to do with him? Excuse me, what do you want? I can't even read. Pilate, let's start over. Verse 12. Pilate answered and said to them again, What then do you want me to do with him whom you call the king of the Jews? And so they cried out, that's the crowd, cried out, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Then Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they cried out all the more, Crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And so Pilate, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them. And he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Wow. Uh, Mark's gospel is condensed. It doesn't tell us the whole of it. Pilate scourged Jesus first. Uh, Roman scourging was incredibly cruel. Uh, They had perfected punishment, right? And the purpose of scourging was to get a criminal to confess their crime. And so they would have a whipping block of stone. And they would tie the criminal's arms around the whipping block so all the muscles in their back were taut. And they would get a whip, and on the end of the whip, they had what was called a cat of nine tails. It was a heavy ball with shards of glass and bone embedded into it. And they would get that whip with the uh, criminal's arms tight, and they would bring it across the back of the criminal. And with one whip, that cat of nine tails would whip into the back and come around, and the heavy ball would come into the skin and take off a huge chunk of flesh. And with one whip, every criminal would confess his sin, confess his crime. Jesus had no crime to confess. He took all 39 whips. Psalm 22 tells us that so much skin was ripped off of his body that you could see his skeletal muscles, all his bones being revealed as the skin completely ripped off him. He couldn't carry the cross. He was so whipped and, and beaten. Uh, and uh, it is here that they take Jesus, uh, that Pilate. He says, look, I, I, I scourged him and he confessed no crime. Who do you want me to release to you? And he shows Jesus, the king of the Jews, bloodied, beaten, face beyond recognition, beard ripped out, skin ripped off his back. And he shows this murderer, Barabbas. And all the people shout out to release Barabbas. Even here, Jesus' sovereignty is on display. For do you know what Barabbas means? Everybody say the word Barabbas. Barabbas. You just spoke Hebrew. Bar means son. Simon Bar Jonah, that means son of Jonah, right? Bar Jonah. Uh, Bar is son. Abba is father. Bar Abba, son of the father. Here with Pilate, there are two men standing there. One, the son of the father. He is holy. He is perfect. He is beaten to a pulp. His name is Jesus. The other is the son of a wicked man, Adam, who was a murderer and who had uh, fallen into all kinds of sin as guilty as guilty could be, two sons of the father. And what happens? The guilty, murderer, sinful son of the father is released and the righteous, holy son of the father is condemned. A picture of the cross. A picture of God's plan of salvation. The righteous under judgment so the guilty can go free. You and I, or who? Barabbas. Hello, Barabbas. Nice to, meet, nice to meet you. It's amazing to have the freedom that we've been given. Is it not? Uh, take a look at this. So Pilate, verse 15, wanting to gratify the crowd. Always a bad thing, by the way. You ought to care more about what God wants than what man wants. You vow to be a man, a, a God pleaser more than a man pleaser. 
uh, Barabbas, uh, excuse me, uh, Pilate, uh, wanting to gratify the crowd, released Barabbas to them, and he delivered Jesus after he had scourged him to be crucified. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called the Praetorium. And they called together the, the whole garrison, all of the Roman soldiers to guard him. And they clothed him. They, as the, the Roman soldiers now, clothed him. That's Jesus with purple. Purple is a color of royalty. And they twisted a crown of thorns and put it on his head. And they began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews. Hail, King of the Jews. Verse 19. I would like you to get your pen out and circle some words for me again. And they struck. Circle the word struck. That means beat. Uh, they beat him on the head with a reed. And they spat. Circle the word spat on him. And bowing the knee, they worshiped. Circle the word worship there. Three verbs that I hope you circled. Struck or beaten, spat, and worshiped. All of three in the Greek are in the imperfect tense, in the indicative mood, which means it went on and on and on. They continued doing it. They kept smiting. They kept spitting. They kept worshiping and mocking him. And when they had mocked him, they took uh, the purple off him and his clothes on him, and they led him out to crucify him. It's interesting. They, they, mock, they dress him up as a mock king, purple robe, and a, a reed in his hand as a scepter, and a crown of thorns on his head. And even here, we see the sovereignty of God on display. For where did thorns come from, if you're a Bible scholar? Where did thorns come from? Well, they weren't always on the earth. Thorns came, uh, the first time they're mentioned, is all the way back in the Garden of Eden. After Adam and Eve sinned, thorns were the byproduct of the curse. Jesus, uh, excuse me, God told Adam, now that you've sinned, judgment has come upon you, and thorns and thistles will the ground produce, and out of the sweat of your brow you will eat your bread. It used to be the ground produced good things. You didn't have to work for it. Now you're going to have to work hard. It's going to produce thorns. You can still have a good crop, but you have to work for it. And thorns were a byproduct of the curse, the fall of man. And what is Jesus crowned with? The curse of man. He is the king of the curse of sin. Crowned with the curse of sin. Uh, God's plan of salvation, planned before the beginning of time, uh, here, even rebel, arrogant, uh, deplorable soldiers uh, fulfilling the word of God, the will of God. Uh, verse 20, they mocked him, put a purple, the purple robe off him, and put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Verse 21, then they, the Roman soldiers, compelled a certain man, Simon, a Cyrenian, uh, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of his country and passing by to bear the cross. Uh, the Romans had a, a law. It was a law of the land. It was common. If a Roman soldier, you could be doing anything, and if a Roman soldier came to you and put the flat edge of the sword on you, uh, you would have to carry whatever he asked you to carry for one mile. Jesus taught, if someone asks you, compels you to carry something for a mile, what did Jesus say to do? carry it too. Well, this is where that came from. Jesus was saying, now be a servant and bless those who ask things of you. Uh, well, here this Roman soldier comes and he gets this man named Siren. Says he's a Cyrenian. Uh, Cyrenian is a, a Cyrene is an ancient name for modern day Libya, uh, 800 miles away. And here this Cyrenian named Simon comes to Jerusalem during Passover, probably to worship. And then it mentions two of his sons right here. It mentions Alexander and Rufus as if we all know who they are. And the reason it mentions them that way is because the early church, what, did know who they were. Uh, they're mentioned again in the book of Romans as, uh, as being leaders in the church. And so here we learn something. Uh, this man, Simon, became a follower of Jesus from this day on. I wonder what happened what Jesus said to him as he was bearing the cross for Jesus. Jesus beaten so badly, uh, he couldn't even carry the cross at this point. And uh, uh, probably uh, his whole family probably became believers. Uh, you can look at Romans 16, 13 if you'd like and uh, see one of their names here. Uh, anyway, verse 22. And they brought him to the place of Golgotha 
which is translated place of the skull. Golgotha is Aramaic. It means the skull. And uh, where Jesus was crucified, it looks like the face of a skull. I've been there. I've seen it. It looks like the face of a skull. Uh, Verse 23, and they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them uh, to determine what every man should take. Now it was the third hour and they crucified him. Uh, The third hour, uh, the day starts at 6 a.m. So the third hour is nine o'clock in the morning. Nine o'clock in the morning, Jesus hung on the cross from nine to three, six hours on the cross. Um, uh, And the inscription of his accusation was written above, the king of the Jews. Uh, It was written in Hebrew. It was written in Greek. It was written in Latin. It was God's proclamation to the entire world. This is the king of the Jews. God became a man. And this is what you've done to him. God comes to us. And this is what we do. Verse 27. With him, that's Jesus, they also crucified two robbers. One on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says he was numbered with the transgressors. Or in other words, he was counted a common criminal. Verse 29. And those who passed by blasphemed him wagging their heads and saying, ha, you who destroy, say you're going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself and come down from the cross. <laughs> and they mock him. And everyone is mocking Jesus as he's beaten to a pulp, bloodied and on the cross. Save yourself and come down from the cross. Verse 31, likewise, the chief priest also mocking among them themselves with the scribes said, he saved others, himself he cannot save. I want you to know something, ironically, what the chief priests were saying, what all the scribes were saying, he saved others, himself he cannot save. Ironically, that was true. If he saved himself, he could save no others. And if he saved others, he could not save himself. Verse 32, let the Christ, Christ, another name for Messiah, the anointed one, the king of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. I want to close on these next two verses and then we'll take communion. I want you to really pay attention to this. Now, when the sixth hour had come, the sixth hour is noon, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. From noon to three o'clock, there was darkness on the face of the earth. There are secular historians outside of the Bible that wrote of this darkness, and they uh, tie it into the year of the Olympics so we know when this happened. It was at the same time of Jesus' crucifixion. And secular history writes of this darkness that covered the strange, unusual darkness that covered the whole land. Verse 34, and at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, is Aramaic, Jesus' native tongue. And it's a direct quote from Psalm 22, which Psalm 22, written centuries before Jesus, is a prophetic psalm of Jesus on the cross, first person, as if you were the one writing it as you were hanging on the cross. And he talks about all of my bones being out of joint. They look at me, they mock at me, and it's a first person perspective. And Jesus calls out from Psalm 22, the first line, Psalm 22, 1, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. I have a question for you. Three hours of darkness that fell on the face of the earth. What caused that? Well, there are those who say, well, it was probably a solar, excuse me, a uh, Uh, lunar eclipse, solar eclipse, solar, yeah, solar eclipse. Uh, But it couldn't be a solar eclipse 
Because Passover, uh, the Jewish calendar, is centered on the Jewish calendar. Uh, it's centered on the moon. And Passover is always at a full moon. And you can't have a solar eclipse on a full moon. You can only have a, pa- a, a solar eclipse when the moon is on the other side on a new moon. It's exact 180 on the, uh, of, of the time. So it can't be a solar eclipse. What then was this darkness that came on the face of the earth? I would present to you that this three hours of darkness was the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus. The wrath of the holy God who is judging sin For God is a holy God, and he judges sin justly. And every sin ever committed will be judged by this holy and righteous judge. And what happened here from noon to 3 o'clock is God the Father descended in judgment on Golgotha. The thick darkness covered the earth as the divine executioner unleashed his wrath Not on sinners, but on the sin bearer, Jesus. Can you imagine? And this is the cup that Jesus was dreading. This is the cup that he said, I do not want to partake. Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthini. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And the wrath of God poured out against sin on him. His visage more marred than any man. And this happened from the ninth hour, 3 p.m. This darkness came on the earth, which happens to be, by the way, 3 p.m. just so happens to be the very time when the evening sacrifice was offered in the temple, when the Passover lambs, when everybody would bring their Passover lamb to the temple. 3 p.m., Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthini. And God's wrath on the Lamb of God prepared before the foundation of the earth. What do we do with that? What do we, how do we digest? God the Son, the holy spotless Lamb of God, sacrificed for our our sins so that sinners could be justified through him. This is why we call it Good Friday. It was horrible for him, but it was good for us. And by his stripes, we are healed of all of our sin. As the wrath of God went on him in penal substitutionary atonement, he took our place. You may freely share this message with others as long as you don't charge for it. Support for these broadcasts comes from your generous donations that allow us to give away our materials for free. To participate with us, please visit our website at themissionchurch.net. God bless.